Hey everyone, David here with the episode 9 of the Dark Spider cast. Welcome one and all. And uh, we're going to just cut right to the chase because a couple of things. One, I, I'm i just going to be completely 100% transparent with uh, listeners right now. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for bringing me either into your ears, to your headset, to your car, to whatever it is that happens to be your favorite pa- uh, podcast platform of choice. I am simply just kind of not feeling it today. I don't know why. I don't know. I woke up I was in a slightly groggy mood. I was My sleep was kind of cut off from the morning with a phone call that wasn't even a phone call. It was from an unrecognizable number. It was kind of a scam call, but my phone went off and that kind of disrupted my sleep. I had trouble going back to sleep. I'm drinking my coffee as we speak. And then right before I went live, my mom kind of irritated me a little bit. So I'm going to try to make do best with what we got here on the agenda, which is actually a little, a little filled, a little filled. So that's why I kind of want to cut to the chase, not waste too much energy because I still have a number of things that I need to get done as far as editing, as far as things throughout my day before I take off later for some Halloween-related events uh, involving the girlfriend and whatnot, uh, especially before she starts to strap down and get ready for the workload this weekend. Considering that she works at Party City, it's it's kind of like their Christmas, so things can get a little, a little he- hectic, so... Before she goes on and does that, uh, I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna try to do our best to, you know, have a little bit of Halloween fun uh, tonight with some of our friends, dress up, have some trick or treating kind of things. So we'll, we'll see how that kind of goes down. And another reason why I also want to, you know, kind of cut to the chase and straight to the point is because I don't know what it is. I I don't know if maybe I'm still in the midst of practicing my podcasting skills a whole nine episodes later. But I'm still trying to get a hang of how to kind of balance the momentum of a podcasting platform, especially with the way that even though I've shot videos, I don't know what it is. I I sincerely don't know what it is, but I've shot videos for years for YouTube. I've done live streams now for almost three years. And yet when it comes to podcasting, I don't know if it's because of the consistent level of talking that I do, but just so much spit and saliva form in my mouth that from time to time you guys will hear me kind of like gulp a little bit in between sentences and things like that and kind of take a breath and and I apologize for that I really want to apologize because I've been kind of obviously in the midst of editing and you know kind of cleaning up the podcasting and polishing it up with the sound effects and all that uh, posting them up on the anchor site there's been times where I stop and just simply listen to myself you know as a form of peer review a self-evaluating peer review and I just don't know why it is that I do that and I even bug myself to an extent so just kind of want to apologize for them in the past pre-apologize potentially in the future going forward I'm trying to again still be a solo podcaster and see how things kind of unfold here uh if, with this platform that it's relatively new to me compared to the other much more visual forms of the medium whether it be live streaming or youtube videos with that out of the way let's just go ahead and just catch up on some things first of all dune i watched dune last week i don't know if i covered it on the podcast i think it was a little too late i think we saw it on sunday so since this past sunday me and the girlfriend did watch dune and we overall did like it i just personally feel like it should have been a show on HBO Max, which is ironic because it did debut on HBO Max, but it really should have been a show because that source material is just so dense, dense enough that that one of the comments, see there I go again, one of the common things 
is that uh, uh, from a lot of people widespread said is that that those first books, especially the first one, that because here's the thing. Here's how you know that my girlfriend liked the movies, especially if it's based on a previously published source material, is that after the movie's done, she's going to want to look up the lore and the mythology and the source material of that movie. Uh, and with Dune, she just went straight to Wikipedia, went straight to the Internet to just see how long the books are, what other details the book can kind of can kind of share that the movie didn't and then within the area after we were done watching the movie and we were kind of t- picking a spot to eat and even after we were done eating we actually saw Barnes and Noble nearby and so to kind of walk off the food before we headed back home uh we went to the Barnes and Noble and just kind of walked around and immediately she was trying to look for Dune the actual book series which we did find and comparatively we did notice that that first book of Dune is unequivocally much thicker and denser than the rest of the books and to think that this is technically part one of Dune, we still got part two, which has since been greenlit. And th- that was a very curious thing. The fact that this was, in fact, a part one and they never greenlit a part two. They really wanted to see the performance of this one because ger- generally the custom, uh, especially with a company like Warner Brothers, is that they're either going to shoot stuff back to back like they did with The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, even though Lord of the Rings was New Line. But you get my point. They shoot it all back to back. Uh, to kind of minimize costs and shooting schedules. Or they just greenlight the entire series without even knowing the the performance because they're just that confident. This was kind of like an in-between where they're like, yeah, we're going to greenlight you the first one. We'll see how that one performs over the weekend, and then we'll give you the second one if it's good enough. And it did look like it performed well enough that a part two is scheduled for October 2023. And even though I am technically down to see part two, part one, like I said, has its moments of awesomeness that really deserved to be seen on the IMAX screen with that sound system and that IMAX screen and the aspect ratio opening up. But there were other times where, like I said, it just had its dense material that it was trying to break down as far as how the worlds work, how all this kind of fits in. And also quite an awful lot of setup in the sense that it doesn't like there's times where the movie's not structured like your convenient film even if it is the first film and in what's meant to be a series it doesn't play conventionally that way if that makes any sense so you never i never really found there to be a three act structure and because there wasn't one towards the last act i was starting to trail off a little bit i don't know if it was because of the way that Denis Villeneuve likes to shoot his films that are sometimes a little bit on a much more slow burn pace but towards the end it was quite literally the end i come to figure that i was doing that thing where you're not falling asleep you're still conscious but you're kind of trailing off in that direction and you kind of have to like shake yourself a little bit (laughs) especially being in a in uh not in a movie theater that ironically is imax i know big loud sound system but this was during a quiet moment in my defense and it was towards a part towards in at the end of the film where I don't know whose idea was it, if it was the director or the cinematographer, but they diffused the exposure of the camera to the point where even though we're it's daylight, our characters are inside of like a canyon area of the desert that minimizes the sun or the the, the light of the sun, and therefore everything just seemed darker. So even though it's daytime, it's everything is just so muted down that it was almost like if I was looking at my computer screen, but I turned down the brightness on the computer screen and it it being like in the middle of the night and having my lights off, obviously that's going to be conductive to start lulling me to sleep. And that's essentially what was happening there towards the end, which is 
crazy considering that this movie is about the same running time as The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight, I was invested from beginning to end. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And even sticking with the same director, Denis Villeneuve, he made Blade Runner 2049, which is, I think, much longer. I think it's two hours and 45 minutes. And that movie, I was engaged from beginning to end. So I have no idea why this one was the one where I was starting to trail off. And I think it's because, like I said, that we're just trying to compartmentalize too much of that dense book into one movie that personally I feel like if it was in a serialized manner like a show where it was like an hour a week or uh, you know the whole season up in one weekend but it was still multi-episode one hour per episode and I was able to kind of digest it in those bits and chunks I probably would have absorbed it a whole lot better even if it was shot in the same way I'm not saying it has to be shot in a very hectic manner no it could still be done like Denis Villeneuve likes to do but it was just, it, it, they were just trying to cram a little bit too much. And to consider that this is just part one of part two, I was just thinking to myself, I'm hoping that maybe the upheaval has been taken care of since they've already set up how the worlds work, which they do a phenomenal job of doing so. I genuinely felt like I was on different planets. I never felt like I was on location here on Earth, and they were just trying to dress it up as a different planet. It actually felt like we were in a different universe. So I have to give credit to that. And so many different technical aspects about the movie were amazing as far as how the sets look, how the music looks, I mean, the sounds, especially from Hans Zimmer, being that it's a you know a goat like Hans Zimmer. Uh, and on top of just... The the cinematography, like I mentioned before, as well as the acting. All the actors are taking this seriously, but not too seriously that it comes off too melodramatic. They still feel like they exist exist within their world, so that makes any sense. Like Everybody feels organic to what they were assigned to, uh, specifically Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa, Oscar Isaac, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson, all those. The only one that I was like, oh man, they, they it, what, what was up with this is Zendaya. She's not terrible, but that's the thing is that she's. It's very hard to call her terrible when she's barely in the movie to begin with. You know what I mean? We're, we're definitely gonna have to wait until part two to see what she's all about because what you see in the trailer of her just looking at the camera and then walking away wistfully—that's literally all she does in this movie. Like, she has a total of, like, five minutes of screen time. And in those five minutes, that's literally all she's doing. Um, so, you know, a lot of, you know, very cool points of setup and, 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 and seeds planted for part two. Especially with uh, the way that some characters kind of exit where they don't even fully exit. So, you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, there's got to be something else left here. Or the amount of screen time that they received, like I mentioned Zendaya. Or even Dave Bautista, who looked pretty dope in the trailer. Uh, spoilers, but he's barely in it. He's in it for like, again, five minutes. I even feel kind of bad for him considering that he had to put on a shit ton of makeup and wardrobe design and only to be in the movie for so long. And that goes even double for Stellan Skarsgård, even though he has gone on record to say that he actually enjoyed the experience. So, yeah, a lot of expectations for, for part two. I'm hoping that maybe the pace will be a little brisker considering that now we've moved past the setup and now we can get into like the meaty part of the story while at the same time playing to mythology that I did like to break down and and discuss with my girlfriend, especially uh, as far as what our main character, Tim Timothy, the Shalomite's character, Paul, can actually do as far as his capabilities and what he's going to be bringing to the table. But it wasn't exactly the masterpiece that I was kind of hoping it out to be. So this week's what I've been playing segment is arguably going to be a little short because it's quite literally identical to last week's, which is going to be 
Pyre and Resident Evil 8. I really have not been playing anything else. Any other pockets of free time that I've been having has been dedicated to editing more videos, shooting more videos, and looking for employment, things like that. You know, run-of-the-mill stuff that you have been hearing in past episodes. However, the only little twist is that literally yesterday, Thursday, I was able to finish both Pyre and Resident Evil Village. So you can take my word when I say that my gamer OCD was plenty satisfied at the end of the day knowing that I've beaten two games within the same you know, 12, 13 hour period. And by the end of the evening, I didn't want to play anything else because I had my fill of gaming sessions with Pyre going on for like about three hours and then live on stream Resident Evil Village for about four. Let's start off with Pyre. My opinion about the game did in fact get better from last week's first impressions where I said that the core action gameplay of the game that's focused on active gameplay is pretty much a glorified version of soccer where you're trying to get this orb into the enemy's pyre before they do it onto you and minimizing your score and once it counts down to zero you lose or if theirs counts down to zero you win and you're able to then uh, compete and uh, win in these things called rights and in doing so you level up your characters and occasionally you'll come across a liberation right where one of your characters goes free from the the uh, downside which is this wasteland that your characters are committed to to live out in exile for the rest of their days. So ultimately the story kind of evolved from that point where there's a lot a lot more was presented at stake without going into spoilers in case any of you listeners are planning on playing this game Pyre which is from Supergiant Games the same developers behind Bastion Transistor and last year's critically critically acclaimed Hades which I adored so I was definitely looking forward to Pyre and making Pyre my last PS4 Pro game before officially transitioning and permanently transitioning to the PlayStation 5 for all my PS4 and PS5 needs so the Pyre or Pyre rather was a very satisfying game to finish that saga on. And here's the thing, is that later on tonight, after recording this uh, episode, I am going to load the game back up because it does, have a, it does have a versus mode. And it's basically a multiplayer mode where the that core loop of the gameplay, as far as the rights are concerned, when it comes to playing that, like I said, that glorified game of soccer slash football slash, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, as far as sports are concerned, you can actually play with other people and kind of take it from a multiplayer-centric uh, position where you don't exactly advance in the story, you don't really level up your characters, but you do kind of gain things within the the within that component. And I definitely want to ch- try it out a little bit on a broader spectrum later on tonight before I officially wipe the game clean off my console, uh, back up all the stuff off of my console, and then factory restore it so I can box it away. But... As far as the campaign is concerned, it did leave me very, very satisfied, and I was very glad that I played the game. And quite frankly, I think I would have possibly put it on my top five from that year. Now, would it be one of my favorites coming out of the developer Supergiant games? I, I don't think so. I personally still think that Hades and even Transistor are better games than Pyre, because despite being absolutely in love with the mythology that they set up in Pyre as far as how the commonwealth works, how the downside work, how these rights work, how these characters kind of interact with one another and the way that they talk. You can definitely tell that whoever writes the dialogue for not just Pyre but almost any of these supergiant games is a walking thesaurus because there's just so many words that they figured to have meaning for something else that they've been wanting to say and it's just a, a it's just a, a 
it's just awesome to hear these characters talk and it feels very distinct because you have some characters talking in a very slang way but then you have others speaking in a very eloquent way and so it makes the characters distinct and it makes you resonate with them and find them very compelling which is why when these last couple of hours that the game went into raising the stakes not only because these rights will then provide a sense of liberation for the characters from the exile but then another character comes forward and says hey by the way I think we're running out of time, so you better choose wisely who goes free and who is going to play a bigger part in a subconscious uh, role that's going on in the background. It's never really shown in the foreground or even visually because they could only do so much with the budget, but there's something else going on in the plot of the story that is kind of kind of uh, it's bringing a, an underlying sense of circumstance. And because of that, you, I, I then have to strategize exactly who's going to go free, who's going to get leveled up, who's going to stick around, and who I want to kind of prioritize in these rights leading up to its eventual climax that, again, starts to elevate the stakes with not only making the, the gamble bigger, but also making you run out of time because not everything's going to last forever. So it definitely did ramp up the stakes to where it started to not feel as repetitive as it was last week because one of the things i mentioned last week when i was uh, tackling the game was that it was starting to delve on slight repetitiveness despite changes in dialogue and addition of characters there was nothing really prodding along as far as story i felt like we were kind of doing the same thing over and over getting from right to right we get on this environment we have this one section where characters interact with each other and then we finally reach our end goal destination where a big right takes place characters talk to one another you get your rewards and then rinse and repeat it was finally towards this last half of the game that i finally started to kind of break away from that as the stakes got elevated with that said Pyre undoubtedly knew that it was going to be my last game on the PS4 Pro because this thing did not want to end. I said that I played it for about three hours yesterday. Officially, officially I played it for three hours. Unofficially, I played it more for like an hour and 45, two hours because that last hour it are either characters or even songs literally saying, this is it, this is the final thing, this is the final, after this there's no more. And I'm like, bro, you guys are ending just as much as return of the king wanted to end which was almost never <laughs> so after a while it did feel a little draggy towards the end as far as the presentation aspect of things because even though i had beaten the game from a gameplay standpoint you still had characters and the game itself still trying to tell me from an epilogue standpoint like oh this is what happened afterwards this is what happened after you did this thing and then the final thing here is what the final final last last this this and that and i'm like guys come on you gotta end it i gotta you know i got dinner to make i got <laughs> i got things to do so uh, it did kind of overstay its welcome a little bit towards the end from a technical standpoint but overall very satisfied with what pyre was able to deliver as far as being my last ps4 pro game and also being a very you know mainstay for super giant games that in the future if they were to come up with another game that will then give us a kind of like a collection where they can kind of bundle bastion transistor pyre and and hades along with a fifth game as like this big you know essential collection for that developer i would gladly buy it in physical form and then resident evil village we finished it last night after a very beefy four hour stream and as the credits rolled it's something that I was already starting to echo in my brain as I was kind of jumping into this climax here was that 
it really is going to boil down to preference because Resident Evil Village objectively is a really well-made survival horror game or survival action horror game because that's the thing is that Resident Evil Village is definitely going for a much different aesthetic than what Bio Resident Evil 7 Biohazard was trying to do. So Resident Evil 7 Biohazard was going for a much more grindier, nastier, filthier uh, aesthetic as far as that southern environment with the Baker family and going for a much more hills have eyes uh, cabin fever kind of approach whereas Resident Evil Village is meant to be more like you know going to Transylvania or doing something you know pulpy as far as like a Dario Argento sort of uh, horror aesthetic with you know obviously you're gonna have your mutations and your connections to the you know the prior game especially with our main character Ethan Winters continuing uh, things that you know were left kind of undone from Resident Evil 7 Biohazard but with that said and without trying to you know stray away from spoilers just in case because this is still technically a 2021 game so as I played it and I finished it I am not only considering it as a Resident Evil game comparing it comparing it to its uh, companion piece rather which is Biohazard because it's the same character and the same first person perspective and they're meant to be like two halves of a whole but I'm also considering it as a 2021 game and potentially for game of the year and that's what I also need to look at it from that optic and with those optics I would say that yes this is probably going to go in my top 10 will it be in my top 5 I honestly don't know because as much as I genuinely did enjoy it it did have a couple of pacing issues. Last night, we went into our final, what I thought was going to be our final lord or our final boss fight or our final, you know, main head honcho that we had to defeat, which is Heisenberg, or as I like to call him, Magneto. And his environment and the way to get to him was a lot meatier than that of the other lords, at least comparatively to the middle two. I would say you can definitely see amongst the four main bosses before we get to our final boss, amongst the main four, it's Lady D and Heisenberg that the developers really love designing. And then it's the other two, the woman with the puppet, I can't remember her name, uh, oh, Veneviento, and Moreau, which is the big like slug monster, or as I like to call him, the Mad Max creature. They're the latter two or the lesser two that the developers didn't really care for because you can get through those two in about an hour each. Whereas the others have their own little puzzles and quirks and mini bosses that you need to get through. And we were able to, again, finish off the game last night. But it, it, you can definitely see that a little bit of the pacing is not as balanced as I would have hoped. And again, it boils down to preference. Going on a much more subjective uh, through line and less objective is that it you some people are going to prefer biohazard over village and some people village over biohazard personally playing them back to back i can honestly say i think i actually might prefer biohazard over village that's not to say that village is a bad game again it might go in my top 10 but if completely hypothetical here if both of these games were to have come out this year as like companion pieces kind of like your pokemon silver versus your pokemon gold or something like that village versus biohazard i probably would have picked biohazard first and Biohazard would probably would have gone in my top five because I, to me, I feel like it's much more intense and cl and scary in a much more claustrophobic and and kind of reined in environment like the Baker House as opposed to the much more open and fantastical nature 
of the village and the castle in Resident Evil's uh, 8 village because you really do have the much more open space and it really comes across that their inspiration was Resident Evil uh, 4 with this game where it's leaning more towards its action aesthetic especially after certain story explanations and then you even have the Duke which is kind of encouraging upgrading your weaponry even selling you new weapons that you never have seen before and kind of giving this whole layer of crafting and, and strategic nature to the way that you work your weapons more so than even biohazard was able to do there were times where even biohazard was purposely trying to make you feel helpless whereas village is making you go check this thing out you're ready to do some damage and towards the end it makes that very abundantly clear especially with one other character going take a look at this and you're like whoa okay so that's the direction we're going with that said it's also very interesting what direction we can go beyond village considering the way it ends again no spoilers being that this is still a game that came out this year and some people have yet to get to it but very curious to see where we can go with a ninth entry considering where this one leaves off that caught me off by surprise i was expecting things to go in a certain expected direction and it really didn't especially with that end credit scene so i would say i'm definitely signed up for resident evil 9 and when I say signed up, I don't just mean for spooky season of whatever year that comes out. I mean, like, if it comes out on a mu- whatever time that game comes out, I'm probably going to play it day one. Which makes me also think about the fact that these Resident Evil games are always opt for Halloween streams and Halloween playthroughs. And yet they never come out on Halloween. I don't think there's ever been a Resident Evil game coming out on Halloween. Unless I'm proven wrong, at least the most recent ones. Resident Evil 2 Remake came out in January. Uh, Resident Evil 3 Remake came out in April. 7 Biohazard, I believe, came out in September. So I think that was the closest. And then this one came out back in May. So very curious to see if we're ever going to get a proper Halloween release for, for Resident Evil game. But whenever that ninth entry comes out, I'm definitely down. And I know that as of right now, they are making what is, I think, now confirmed to be free DLC for Resident Evil Village. And I'm definitely down to play whenever that rolls around. In fact, in fact, I even have some theories as to what that DLC could be, especially after getting to that ending from last night. But for the most part, I really did enjoy my time with Resident Evil 8. It's imperfect, but it's definitely one of my highlights of the year thus far. But if I had to pick between the last these last two different first-person Resident Evil games, I actually would prefer the claustrophobic nature of Biohazard. But this is still a worthwhile entry that if you're a huge Resident Evil fan, definitely check it out. And being that we're on the sunset days of October and Halloween is literally just a couple of days away, that actually poses a question in my mind. And this is definitely a topic that I would love to have with like another party here, like a co-host or something like that. So I don't, I'm not really going to spend too much time on this because I really haven't had my share as th- that's been as big as other gamers. But this did pose a question to myself. What exactly makes a great horror game? Because let's take the two games that I just talked about. Resident Evil 7 Biohazard and then Village. Two companion pieces with the same character and the change in aesthetic and the change in tone and atmosphere. And even uh, perspective with the first person perspective as opposed to the third from the prior uh, RE games. It makes me wonder what exactly makes a great horror game. Because here's the deal. I personally don't really play too many horror games i've delved into them even outside of the resident evil franchise dead space i'd say is really well made 
uh, little, and, and then we even get into different spectrums of horror games because you do have your survival horror, you have your j- typical jump scare horror, your on rails horror, where you're meant to not really shoot anything and just kind of walk the path and uh, deal with the horrors that await you, the jump scares that await you, like Outlast. And then you also have your psychological horror, like Blair Witch, which I actually did play, I believe, either last month or the month before. I think it was in August because they were going to remove it out, off of Game Pass. And that was a game I was planning on playing uh, in October for Spooky Month. Uh, but unfortunately, they made the plan to remove it by the end of August, so I had to kind of pivot, play it right away off stream, so I can at least get that experience for free, and and just kind of move on forward from that. So I did play. I have had my shares of horror games, but not like I said to the fullest extent that other people have played. I know that people revere the Silent Hill series, and I have yet to play a single Silent Hill game. I know sacrilege. Going beyond that, overseas to the Japanese market that know how to do their uh, horror games which we've already you know dealt with here Resident Evil and Silent Hill are both Japanese uh, made games but th- games that do utilize the Japanese mythology of horror and still incorporate them in the game without using like western characters or western um, vibes or anything like that Fatal Frame I would say Fatal Frame is one of those uh, series that everybody talks about as far as great horror franchises are concerned I haven't played any of them. I'm sorry. I just, I really have not. So I'm thinking to myself, what are some highlight horror games that I have played or at least were effective to me? Going back to those two that I just mentioned, Village is meant to be more of this fun, uh, spooky roller coaster ride in Eastern Europe, whereas Biohazard is meant to be a nastier, grimier, um, hellish uh, visage inside of the southern Louisiana with Biohazard and the Baker House. Personally, between the two, I feel like the claustrophobicness of Biohazard was more effective to me than it was in anything found in Village. And that also makes me think about that original Dead Space, being stuck in this ship and barely having any kind of ammo and any kind of resilience. Because I will admit that jump scares are definitely much more effective with the video game format than it is in the movie format. In movie format... Especially nowadays, you can definitely see the jump scares from a mile away. I feel like the only filmmakers right now, some of the few filmmakers that are able to do jump scares effectively or maybe even make them effective by not using them at all and misleading you would be directors like Edgar Wright or James Wan. They know how to deliver the creepiness factor. And that also reminds me of a different spectrum of horror games. Those games that are not meant to be so much scary or horrific, but rather just more creepy. Little Nightmares is actually one of the ones that comes to mind. And we did have the sequel released not too long ago, which unfortunately I have yet to play. But I did play the first game. And that is definitely a creepy ass game because it doesn't have too many jump scares. There were a couple that did in fact get me. One notorious one had you going through like a pipe and then one of the hands kind of comes through like one of the one of the vents inside of the pipes that did genuinely get me. But outside of that, it really, you know, it, it really proceeds and it really excels with the design of those enemies and those creatures that are trying to hunt you down and eat you. Those are the, the things that are li- quite literally the stuff of nightmares. Like the people really concocted this out of this vivid imagination. And I really do want to see more games do that where it's not so much about the horror aspect, but rather the creepy aspect. So that's definitely something that I would like to see be brought a little f- uh, forth. And also going back to that survival horror nature. I mean, it's very timely to talk about this, considering that they are, in fact, remaking the original Dead Space. The original Dead Space is going to get a full-blown remake with cool new visuals, uh, physics, the fog effects, and all that stuff. 
But what can they really do to make us feel the way that the original Death Space f- uh, made us feel when jumping onto the Ishimura for the first time and not knowing exactly what was around the corner? What can really invoke that sense of dread? Speaking of Dread, we just had Met- the release of Metroid Dread. Haven't played it, but I've seen some gameplay that even kind of harkens back to the old school days of Resident Evil where it's about navigating through the map, not getting caught by the one thing that you obviously cannot kill, and finding respite in a save point. And I obviously can't speak for the game, but I've had so many other people say that this is a, you know, uh, one of the best Metroid experiences so far, and it's one of the best games of the year. I'm in between jobs, so I can't really pull the trigger on it right now financially. And on top of that, me and Nintendo are feeling kind of weird. But it, I, I'm I'm happy to say uh, I'm happy to hear rather that one of the things that it does right is that survival horror nature, where it really does kind of excel at making things feel claustrophobic and terrifying, and. When it comes to the really effective horror games, I would say that, yeah, like I said, jump scares work because it's a much more interactive medium. So it's up to me to control when the jump jump scare comes because it's up to me to walk into that room or trigger that event or, or get through that door. But it's also about that atmosphere that developers really need to take into account because it is a much more immersive experience. And because we're immersed and we're not just watching a 2D image like in a movie or a TV show, it's up to them to make that environment feel fully realized. That's one of the things, one of the expectations I have about the the Dead Space remake. And it's something that I really hope, you know, more developers embrace because I will admit, as fun as they may be, the checkbox games, checkbox checkbox games like I like Immortals Phoenix Rising, Far Cry 6, a lot of Ubisoft games, a lot of uh, Square Enix games with these like beat 'em ups. I'm just like or or brawlers or whatever. I mean, I'm 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 very happy to see that Guardians of the Galaxy is getting good reviews, but as far as like that type of game, that vibe of a game, I'm just like I'm getting sick and tired of almost feeling like I'm seeing the same game. We just had the state of play, which I'm actually, it's a perfect segue to get into. We just had the state of play open with a game that looked like a game, like another game that I thought it was going to be for. I thought it was going to be like an update uh, trailer for new characters to come to that original game, Hunter Hunter's Arena, or whatever it's called. And it ended up being a completely separate game that I just mistook for it. And that's just how alike each other they looked. I'm hoping that that survival horror or just horror in general will be a genre that more developers can maybe exercise their their development skills and creativity coming off of games like this where it's like okay all that talent talent that you guys pour into these open world games let's you know let's bring it to to the horror genre you know make things much more immersive and scary while at the same time bringing forth new ips overall because sure it may look bright and shiny and spanking new but we've already had a dead space let's go forth and give us more of that callisto protocol which i'm looking forward to give us more games like that so being that we're on the subject let's talk about that state of play not much to really talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> we did have a state of play on Wednesday, October 27th at 2 p.m. Considering that it was only going to be 20 minutes and only based off of third-party content, 
See, here's the thing. You One thing without the other would have probably been okay. If they had said that it was a state of play with third-party content, it would have been like, well, maybe I'll stream it. Maybe we'll cover it or do some reactions. As as soon as they said 20 minutes, I'm like, there's only so much that you can really talk about in 20 minutes. And knowing ahead of time that one of the games that they were going to showcase a little bit more as far as gameplay is concerned was the game, the what I like to call the pooping game, which was the game Little Devil Inside that a lot of people, you know, kind of walked away thinking no that looked interesting from the playstation 5 showcase from uh, i think last year being that that game was already set to return during that state of play and you're only working with 20 minutes or let's say now 15 minutes because you're probably going to devote three to four minutes to that little devil inside showcase what can you really talk about from a third party standpoint being that it's not first party we can definitely cut out horizon gran turismo Spider-Man and God of War completely out of the equation. So what do we really have to work with? Some people were kind of spitting around Final Fantasy 16 and a couple of others. Sifu maybe, you know, going into the indie scene. Yeah, almost none of that. Now, there were some unexpected surprises. And I don't know what this says about me. I don't know what this says about the state of play. Take it how you will. But... To me, one of the biggest surprises, aside from the Little Devil Inside gameplay that we already knew was coming, and again, that was not really surprising in and of itself, but what I generally found surprising and intriguing was that Bug Snacks was going to get free DLC. <laughs> not only just free DLC that's meant to be just be more Bug Snacks to catch and more uh, you know weapons and and tools to use to catch them. But a whole other island expansion to go to where not only you have new species of bug snacks, but even existing alpha bug snacks that are called big snacks, which are basically bigger versions of those prior bug snacks. Yes, we're going full Pokemon on this bitch with the whole Gigantamax thing where they're making these creatures and making them bigger, thus then changing up your strategy and your perspective of how to catch them and using different weapons and tools to be able to catch them accordingly. And it's all going to be free. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a wait. It doesn't come until I th they think they said spring 2022. So we have a release window. We're probably expecting somewhere between March and May. But it's going to be free. And it's not, again, not just addition of new creatures, new bug snacks, and new tools. It's a whole other landscape dealing with new terrain, new environments, new weather probably, pa new weather patterns. And all being thrown in for free. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. I think I might just have to reinstall this here bug snacks and try that out come that time. Now, I know it, it's crazy that that was probably my highlight of the uh, of the <laughs> state of play. But then moving on to other little fascinating things or little intriguing things like the new inclusion of the PS Plus games, uh, one of which was finally showcased at this state of play. That uh, prior to the state of play, I didn't know what this was about because literally that morning the PlayStation Plus games for November were leaked, and those PlayStation Plus games were unfortunately mostly made up of games that I already owned. One of which I paid thirty bucks for, so I wish I could have known this ahead of time. But oh well, there's no way to do so. And those games are Knockout City, which I've been playing on Xbox because it's part of Game Pass, part of EA Play. So now I can technically play it on PS Plus. I'll have to check and see if I could transfer my my data over. I doubt that I can, but it is meant to be cross gen, so it's worth checking out and doing the, the research for that and then kingdoms of amalur re-reckoning this is the one that i did buy for i think either 25 or 30 bucks even though it was technically a sale i still paid for it and now knowing that it's coming for free next month it, it uh 
it, it, it makes me feel some type of way that I'm trying my best to ignore. However, one of the PS5 and PS4 cross-gen games being given to us through the month of November, aside from also the free PSVR games that they're going to be throwing in that unfortunately I won't be able to play because I don't have a PSVR headset, is a game called First Class Trouble. And up until this point, we didn't really know what the game was in the fullest extent, probably some cliff notes and some artwork, but I'm like, what is this? The state of play then showcased a slice of gameplay. And long story... Long story short, it's basically Among Us. It's Among Us in a 3D plane with a different aesthetic. You know, you got your humans versus your robotoids or synthetoids or humanoids or something like that. I can't remember what they're called, but basically they're robots masquerading as humans. And you and another player need to pretty much pull the ultimate strategy to fool the other into thinking that you're uh, a human when in fact you're a robot or convince the other the rest of the party to say hey I'm a human the other person's a robot and make the accusation and see who gets taken out sound familiar yeah it's pretty much among us and I said this during the state of play is that even though this looks intriguing and bringing it to a 3D landscape could also make for some potentially fun gameplay and considering that's going to be free next month it's worth at least giving it a shot at least one playthrough it couldn't hurt but with that said, we expect a lot of Among Us clones to be coming in like the next year. Because as soon as that game took off, a lot of developers got to work. And now, though the popularity of Among Us itself has died down, you can bet your ass that a lot of those developers are probably so knee-deep into development of their Among Us clone that they can't abandon ship right now. They're going to have to make the games and release them. And they're going to release in quick succession. And a lot of the common folk out there are going to look at these games and be like, oh my god, so many Among Us ripoffs. How can they do this? And I'm like, you have to consider how the gaming gaming industry works. When something takes off, a lot of other people are going to try to replicate that magic, catch the lightning in the bottle. But because of how long games take to make, especially in the time of COVID right now with the restrictions and people working from home, it's going to you know be kind of stretched out that whatever game comes out right now was started was started like 2 years ago when among us took off even before covid so we're seeing a lot of kind of time capsules kind of unfolding in place especially when it comes to video game development and people need to start recognizing that a little bit more in my opinion so we had that and then again we had the opening game that made me feel like i was watching that hunters arena game only it ended up being something called death something let it die. Apparently, it's like the second game in an existing franchise. All I know is that it looked generic as all hell, but not as generic as that kart racer with the with the Blondie song. I'm gonna get you, get you. It's, it's like unless you're a mod racer or you're some form of PlayStation All Stars equivalent of a kart racer. So if you had like on Nathan Drake going up against Kratos in a kart racer, unless you're doing something like that, don't talk to me. And on top of that, you have the gall to come up with like the most generic ass name, Kart Racer, whatever. It's like it's just, oh my god! It's just in a lot of games showing up here were just giving me that lukewarm uh, feeling. I mean, I'm stoked for people who are huge fans of King of Fighters. I've never been into King of Fighters uh, almost at all. Uh, so to see it being showcased here, I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, you got a new fighter in there. I saw Maximilian dude lose his shit because, you know, he's a huge fighting game guy. And he probably grew up with King of Fighters. So when he saw it show up here, he was like, yo, like, d- dope. And then we have a new Star Ocean game that looked fine. 
Uh, it, it's, it looked fine. It didn't really look anything spectacular, but it looked terrible either. It looked like a game that it might even be coming to other platforms outside of PlayStation. It was just, it got first dibs exclusive look here in the state of play, but I feel like in the future it might even be coming to like Switch or, or I, don't, I doubt about Xbox, but maybe PC and Switch. We'll see. All I know is that the whole thing ended with Little Devil Inside, and I'm probably skipping a couple of other games, but trust me, if I had remembered and made a mental note, I probably would have remembered by now. And because it didn't happen, I would say it was probably not important enough to happen, unfortunately. What I do remember, however, was a deeper look into that Little Devil Inside gameplay. That genuinely looks intriguing. I'm still down for the game. We didn't even get a release window. I don't think they've even confirmed that it's coming for 2022. But it's considering the scope of the game, I think we're safe in assuming it is next year. When next year? Who knows? That will have to wait and see until they're ready to tell us. But as far as what the gameplay showed us... It looked very interesting. I would say that the gameplay itself is not the most riveting nature because we have seen it before as far as like the inventory management and the sword gameplay and the traversal. But it's more about that aesthetic and that tone and that look of the game that I think sells it as far as well as the humor. Again, opening that with that trailer, that very first trailer, not this one, but the opening one from the PS5 showcase uh, last year where it showed him falling in that cave and then it just cuts the, the dude taking a dump. Uh, it was a good way of cementing exactly what kind of uh, feel and tone they're going for with this game. And that depth of perception, making everything look like a, a toy diorama set, it, it, I love shit like that. You know, stuff like in games like Unravel or It Takes Two, I, I love it when game, game developers play with the depth of perception. As long as it's not intrusive to the immersion of the game, the playability of the game, making sure that it doesn't impair our, our actual vision as far as interacting with the game, uh, go for it. Because I, I love it when developers get creative with that sort of shit. And seeing it being done again here with Little Devil, Little Devil Inside, as well as the, like I said, the much more Tim Burton esque kind of aesthetic, I was like, you know what? Sign me up. I'm down for this game. But we're just gonna have to get at least another little gameplay slice so that we can look at some of the more intriguing, creative things from the gameplay. Because the gameplay itself, it's fine, but it's not doing anything terribly riveting unless they have something else that they're just not ready for us to show, along with a potential release window. All in all, that was my takeaway from State of Play. Along with the fact that I was very, very happy I did not stream it and just recorded my entire reaction, compile it together and upload it as a singular video because ultimately, I feel like by this point, only two days later, almost nobody remembers that state of play, unfortunately. And that brings us to the end of a very short uh, episode of the Dark Spider cast. Now, it was a slightly slow week. I didn't really see too much. I mean, it was slow enough that even a state of play didn't even leave that much of a mark on the gaming industry and the entertainment industry thus far. But and that's why I wanted to kind of start the stream with even a very uh, or start the podcast rather with a very quick kind of review of Dune and talk about that because. It really was a little bit slow on the video game front of things. With that said, however, I do kind of at least want to give a very brief breakdown as far as what my plans are for gaming in November. And as far as streams are concerned, I feel like November and December are going to be catch-up month with the streams. Because there's a handful of DLC I've been wanting to play, specifically the Spider-Man DLC. I know I'm a little late on that, but I do have a 
idea for a video on the Niche Down channel, which is actually doing remarkably well. So if anybody is listening to this podcast that's coming over from that new channel, what I like to call the V2 channel that's dedicated to just Spider-Man and Batman-related content, if you happen to be listening to this episode, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for checking it out, watching, commentating, and subscribing, and or subscribing, and anything, anything, everything and anything else you guys have done to contribute to the channel. I appreciate it. It's been growing rather better than I was expecting. So I appreciate you guys one and all. And on top of that, it's also a matter of getting to that Spider-Man DLC because I do plan on making a video for that channel, that Niche Down channel that's centered on not just core game, but also the DLC and kind of bundling it together as kind of like a mixture of a revisit review, retrospective, and recommendation as to whether or not we should, you know, revisit Spider-Man before Spider-Man 2 by the end of this year or, you know, things like that. I, I have an idea, a nugget of an idea, but I have to see it to fruition. And one of those factors that will help do that, do that is to get to the Spider-Man DLC that I have yet to have played that came as part of the remastered edition bundled in with Miles Morales for the PS5. So I'm going to be checking that out on the first week of November on stream. It's a very quick playthrough too. It's only three episodes as far as the DLC is concerned and each DLC episode is like two and a half hours. So three streams, first week of November, we'll get that done. But on top of that, I also want to play the Doom Eternal DLC, the Ancient Ones, part one and two, both are out. And now with that new PS5 ray tracing update, oh yes, we, we definitely have to check that out. As well as possibly pulling the trigger on Kenna phrasing uh but the kenna bridge of spirits game i've been looking forward to wanting to play that and if things start to move forward a little bit as far as the the employment opportunities are concerned because i am waiting on something right now that could potentially turn into an employment opportunity i'm literally just waiting on a drug screening a drug screening that's about to hit two weeks since i've done it so i'm really really scared that they didn't lose my uh my literal p I really, really hope that that's not exactly what happened here, and I'm gonna have to go and pee again because I'm like, damn, only, only here, only here in uh, Southern California, in the high desert, right? Uh, with that, uh, yeah, with that in mind, I'm, I'm seeing that if that does take off and a little bit of income comes my way, I'll definitely pull the trigger on Kenna, maybe Guilty Gear Strive, maybe Tales of Arise. We'll, we'll see. But as far as streaming is concerned. Uh, some DLC packs, maybe the Ghost of Tsushima, Iki Island DLC, Canterbury's of Spirits. And even though I said I wasn't going to buy more Nintendo games, I technically do still have Nintendo games to visit. As far as the 3D All-Stars collection is concerned, we still have yet to play Super Mario Galaxy. I Guardians of the Galaxy is getting good reviews, so maybe I'll pull the trigger on that. And then we even have existing games that are going to be coming to the backlog regardless of whether or I have to I could pay for them or not. Returnal got a patch recently and it's quite specifically a 2.0 patch. It's not a 1. something, 1.3, 1.5 whatever. It's an actual 2.0 with a brand new mechanic to the game, a mechanic that has been uh desired for and asked for for a very long time myself included and that is in fact save points save points are coming or have come to returnal of course with a catch keeping the roguelike aspect of the game still intact you can now save at least once at a time per run so you can save once turn off the game turn off the console Turn it back on, turn the game back on, load up exactly from where you left off, whatever room you left off in, 
keep playing, but if you die, then of course you start from the beginning in classic roguelike fashion. This actually starts to feel a little inviting to want to revisit Returnal again, because, not gonna lie to you guys, I did in fact drop that game earlier this month. I started playing it for a couple of weeks, after a while I just kind of fizzled out, and by the time I was starting to feel the slight tempt temptation to want to revisit it, uh, Jack, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jack and Duster, Ratchet and Clank came out, so that's why I was like, alright, it's time to move forward, we have plenty of other releases also coming out very soon, so... And that eventually took up my time, and then I did find a job over the summer at, uh, at this remote call center. So, you know, it just kind of fizzled out, and I then I moved on to my Resident Evil Marathon series over the course of the months leading up to Village here in October. So, one thing led to another, and I just dropped the game. But this 2.0 update might actually do the trick of me pulling the game back up in the, these next couple of months that are meant to be catch-up months. Hopefully possibly beat it and that way I can at least feel good about that and know that hey this is a game that I can definitely consider for the game of the year uh, spots considering that I did technically finish it and get credits rolled on it so Returnal might be returning to the streams and then we also have Halo Infinite which we did have an overview on the campaign be released online recently by 343 Industries and I'm not going to lie, that video actually looked kind of dope. I, I, I got to be honest with you folks. The, the gameplay and the actual breakdown of what the campaign has in store for us from a story perspective, from a visuals perspective, it definitely looks a lot better than it did. They even threw in Craig in there, but Craig looks better and some other aspects about the game, certain cinematics. I actually, I even saw some comparisons, some side-by-side -side comparisons of the sequence where uh, Master Chief is found drifting off in space by that one guy that I still kind of don't like, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but that Hispanic guy, I just... He just he comes across as a dude who is aware that he's in a Halo game and he's so ecstatic about being in a Halo game that he just feels like a dude who knows he's in a video game uh, or in a Halo video game. I don't know. I, it's, it's, he's weird. I, I just don't like him for some reason. But anyways, that they showed us. I, I, somebody went through the job and the work of putting the two shots next to each other and it does look like a better, crispier game. And on top of that, like I said, so much of it looks uh, polished. I still don't know how I feel about how much they're holding back up on the initial release with no co-op. In fact, the no co-op is probably the part that hurts me the most because me and uh, my, bu my buddy, Surface Assassin, from the streams and from real life, it would have been nice to have done a co-op stream with them. Uh, and knowing that it's not coming until probably like spring 2022, that means that we either have to wait until that time to do a co-op stream or we're just going to have to play it off stream. Because one thing to keep into, uh, into mind here is that it's going to be the first open world Halo game. And by default, that means that this thing could take up anywhere between 20 and 30 hours. Which means, it to me personally, I know other people are different. Especially if they're like full-time streamers and they're streaming literally all day every day or five days out of the week, etc. But for me, who only streams about two or three times a week. And when I stream, I only play for about two and a half to three hours at a time. An open world Halo game might just prove a little bit too daunting, even with co-op. So that's why I'm thinking this is probably going to be, of course, there's well over a month and a half-ish or so. a little, Just a little over a month left to fully decide, leading up to its December 8th release. And it is coming to Game Pass, so financially I don't really have to worry about it. The only thing I need to start thinking about is whether or not I want this to be a streaming game. Because being open world, 
might not be conductive to that, so I'm kind of been going back and forth on the fence as to whether or not this is a game I should stream, or if I should keep it off stream and just play it off stream, or if I should do a hybrid of the two, do all the side content and all the exploring off stream, and then on stream I do all the main uh, events, the main campaign, the main story missions, all the story-related stuff. I don't know. I haven't fully decided. If anybody's got any suggestions, post them in the comments section or hit me up via DMs or whatever. Uh, at me on Twitter or on Instagram or on my Discord. Links are in the description. And I guess with that, uh, with those plugs, I'll go ahead and close out this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 9 of the Dark Spider cast. So... Even though we're still technically at the end here of October and we're about to reach Halloween weekend, which I bid you all to stay safe, but also make sure you have fun while abiding by COVID protocols, keep each other safe, keep each other intact. But above all, just make sure you have fun the right way and hopefully you guys have a blessed Halloween. On top of that, entering November and December, I just know that as far as gaming is concerned, especially with November not having anything worthy for me to play, I know Battlefield 2042, uh, Call of Duty Vanguard, those games literally do not appeal to me whatsoever, so I feel like November and a good chunk of December is going to be catch-up month. And it's time to, you know, put fingers to controller and start getting through some of these games so that I can then I have a very worthwhile top 10 list by the end of the year to deliver in either podcast format or video format. In the meantime, though, if you guys want to stay in touch, again, links are in the description, the Discord, the Twitter, the Instagram, the new YouTube channel niche down for just Spider-Man and Batman related content. Videos go up on every Tuesday and Friday until chosen otherwise and with any exceptions i'll try to make them into community posts or i'll post them on twitter and discord and you guys will know otherwise guys once again i thank you and appreciate you for making it to the very end of episode nine and until next week stay humble